Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 260. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. All right, I'm so excited to welcome to our show Hillary Hendershot from Profit Boss Radio. How are you, Hillary? Fantastic, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad to have you on the show and to talk about this Great topic that you came up with, 10, uh, 10 Worst Pieces of Financial Advice from Financial Podcasts. <laughs> I love it, and I can't wait to hear what you're going to say, because there's a lot of crazy advice out there, because, you know, nowadays, anybody can say they're a financial podcaster. So, Well, podcasting is just like blogging or publishing on the internet. There are no barriers to entry, and that's a beautiful thing, but it also means you have to really be careful. I agree. I agree. And there has to be some, maybe some fact checking or some experience or some credentials or something behind that. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good. Well, let's jump right into it. So what is our first worst piece of advice from a financial podcaster? (laughs) Number 10 is what the, the, the podcaster called the bucket investing strategy. So this person was addressing the fact that people get afraid to take risk. And as you, and I'm sure your listeners know, because of you, um, risk is positively correlated with expected return if you do investing right. But some people still are white knuckled and don't feel like they want to take risks. So this person was saying, look, you don't need to hire a financial advisor. You can do this on your own. Just use the bucket investing strategy and you should take a chunk of your savings and put it in what he called safe investments. And then you can, what he said, he said, you can just go for it in the other bucket. So (laughs) those are his words. (laughs) And I, you know, I'm kind of banging my forehead on the wall. Um, So I would, I would, I'm sure you have a response to this as well, but I would uh, compare this to saying, oh, you, to someone, you don't need a dietitian or a nutritionist or a, a physical trainer. You don't need someone to manage your diet professionally. If you just eat chicken instead of steak, you'll be fine. Or if you just drink water instead of soda, you'll be fine. But there's so much left untouched in that advice, right? Um, so I don't know what he meant by safe investments. I don't know how much of your savings you're supposed to put in safe investments. I, I, I mean, I, it, it just was so uh, immeasure, immeasurable and unactionable to be, um, to be a solution to the problem he was purporting to solve. Yeah, I agree with you that that's really scary not to know what the safe investments are because sometimes people think certain things are safe and they're not. And, you know, nowadays also interest rates are so low, they could have, you know, zero, basically zero return or less than 1% return in the bank, which means that that money will never, you know, amount to much. Anything. If any, if it's even keeping up with inflation. I know. I mean, exactly. the only investments I consider safe right now are CDs from reputable banks and government bonds. Anything else has default risk in it. And that's not to say you shouldn't consider those investments, but, you know, government bonds are, are earning 
1-2%, which is maybe keeping up with inflation. And I'm lucky if I see a CD over 1.5% right now. So it's like, well, okay, you're going to park a big bunch of your savings in an investment that isn't doing anything interesting. I, I just, well, I, as a financial advisor, I can't, you know, nothing. you shouldn't take anything I say as customized investment advice. Don't go buy anything because I said this today. Um, but I don't, I don't consider the bucket investing strategy to be viable. Yeah, and then on the investment side to say, you know, whatever goes in that bucket is... is just go for it, mean? You know, I mean, does that mean that people have no diversification? Does that mean that they're, you know, putting it all on red and, you know, and spinning? I mean, what does that mean? That yeah, could be just play roulette. A lot of risk, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Right. Okay, uh, number nine, worst piece of advice I heard on a financial podcast. This gentleman said, um, you should avoid your company 401k plan because most 401ks have a really uh, uh, limited set of investment options. So let's talk about the implications of this. If you do have access to a 401k plan, a lot of people don't. You're an entrepreneur. You don't work for an employer that does. But the 401k plan, like it or not, is one of the biggest tax deductions Congress allows. So let's say you were going to put $18,000 into your 401k. If you're going to avoid the 401k, you have to pay income tax on that money. And then it turns from $18,000 into $12,000 if you pay a 30% combined tax rate. So avoiding the 401k costs you 30% off the top. And not only that, but the Department of Labor has a regulation in place that says every 401k plan has to have an S&P 500 index fund in it. I don't know if you knew that, but um, they're required to at least have one index fund. And so, you know, the S&P 500 uh, over the last 25 years has returned over 8% annualized per year. That's, while it's not an investment advice, that's a solid return, nothing to shake a stick at. Um, and it you would be hard pressed to make a to turn $12,000 back into $18,000, you'd have to have a 50% return uh, to recoup the losses in terms of income tax um, uh, in your outside 401k investment. And that doesn't even take into account lost uh, matching if, you're, if your employer offers uh, a matching. Uh, I always tell my clients, if, if you do have access to a 401k, you got to max it out. Absolutely. And that matching point is so important because that's free money, right? It literally is free money. And, you know, the 401k system isn't perfect. And, you know, you have to really dedicate yourself to saving over a long period of time. But 401ks can make a huge difference in people's retirements. And, you know, you should still have other uh, irons in the fire outside of that account. But you can't, you can only put $5,500 into a, a Roth IRA or an IRA. So the 401k at 18, Actually, I think it's eighteen thousand five hundred now. No, it's eighteen thousand dollars a year if you're under the age of fifty, and twenty three thousand dollars a year if you're over the age of fifty. Um, that you can put into a four hundred and one k. Larger tax deductions rarely exist. Yeah, absolutely, great point. Okay, how about number eight? All right, number eight. Uh, this is kind of a twofer, and it has to do with who you take your financial advice from. So I had someone on my show, a technologist, who in the pre-interview chat said to me, oh, I don't have a financial advisor. I'm one of those people who believes you just put everything in a domestic index fund and an international index fund, and you're good. And so, uh, so not only do I protest that investment strategy, um, but but you could. T this person had got that advice from someone who was like 
her. And I see this happen in the community of technologists a lot. I live in Silicon Valley and technology is um, epic proportions here. People love technology. We think software and social apps can solve for everything. And, um, and so it makes sense if you relate to the community of people who are like you as being very smart and successful and effective that you might listen to their advice. But the truth is, Linda, there are really smart people who dedicate their lives to financial research. No technologist who spends his or her life uh, writing coding software is going to know more than a fi- than a finance professional, maybe a, a PhD or researcher, um, academician, someone like that, right? And so there's there's bodies of evidence coming out of the field of finance that really tell us a lot about what to expect from the stock market. So, um, well, and other investments. So this person had um, got into kind of echo chamber thinking, and that happens when you just go to your buddies who are like you for advice. And I've heard other, for example, other people who have podcasts that aren't even financial related, maybe they're marketing related. One specifically I did hear a very famous marketing podcast. He had on his show, someone who was also a marketer to talk about what that person was doing with his money. And um, he gave what I considered to be bad financial advice, but it's another example of people wanting to rely on people people who are like them for good investment advice. And, you know, by the way, if you're just putting your money into a domestic index fund and an international index fund, you're missing out on the potential returns from asset classes like real estate and emerging markets and, um, and, and maybe a, a value fund, value stocks and income producing, uh, stocks. Right. So, um, yeah. So- and even, even smaller asset classes, has been outperforming for the last several years. So they've been missing out on the best return if they've put everything into large caps, which people tend to do. They, If they're going to pick one, they tend to pick the S&P 500 and then not realize that it's market cap weighted. And so a few tech stocks are going to be getting you know, most of the performance from those few handful and et cetera. So I totally agree with you on that one. Right. I mean, I went back and I looked up one emerging markets index fund that I know of that I actually use in client portfolios, and it had an 84% return in 2009. So I'm not claiming that that's a representative return, but if you weren't in that asset class, you missed out on those returns, um, uh, you know, by not having that asset class represented. And so I think there's really value in recognizing that there are experts in every field, and it might behoove you to look outside your circle and recognize that if someone spends their lifetime doing something, they're probably going to know it better than you and your friends do, right? Definitely. <laughs> All right. Um, number seven. Number seven worst uh, piece of financial advice is believing grandiose claims. So I'm listening to this podcast, and this guy is a guest on the show, and he says he's the founder of an investment company, and what he has created is an app, and the app teaches people how to pick stocks, and he uses this model that he's claiming is easy and produces the returns, and he actually gives this number. He says my solution has provided 500% returns since. 2013. And I know for sure when he says that, that I don't know that he's lying, but I know I'm pretty certain, like I would bet the farm that if he has had those kinds of returns, he won't have them for very long. And not only that, but he's selling his app for like a dollar. And so that's all there. That's all he, he's just selling apps, right? He's not 
collecting assets under management or charging a commission or doing trading fees or anything like that. And so I'm thinking, if you really have an investment solution that produced a 500% return in three or four years, why aren't you kind of a multimillionaire or a billionaire? Why are you doing business with people who just want to buy an app for a dollar? It sort of defies logic, right? <laughs> um, and this episode, I listened to it a couple weeks after it aired, and I jumped on his website, and guess what? The company was out of business. This is the kind of person who, my opinion is, they they set up shop, they sell everything they can using fraudulent claims or fraudulent models, and then close close the close the doors and sort of go do the same thing again. I, I consider that, well, fraud. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely it brings up all kinds of red flags for someone to claim such high returns. I mean, that's better than the best investors in the world have performed. And you're right, to have that kind of consistent compounding, he would be a multi-billionaire, no question. And the funny right. thing is, like, when I look at Warren Buffett, I think Warren Buffett basically, I, I haven't looked in the last several years, but to, for him to build his fortune, he basically averaged about a 26% average annual return to get to that richest man in the world, you know, what a powerful number to know. (laughs) Yeah. And so anything, you know, extremely above that is just not realistic, especially, you know, someone claiming that they can do it for any length of time and consistency. It just, this is, you know, all kinds of red flags. Yeah. Right. And I think if you're new to the conversation for investing, you might get swayed by people making big claims, but I encourage you to develop frameworks for yourself to quickly be able to dismiss things. So you don't have to waste your time considering them. And I think that number that you just gave, that 26% number is really powerful for people to understand that when it comes to compound returns, you can make millions and even billions of dollars um, and you don't need returns like 500% a year. Not only that, but it's highly, highly unlikely for them to, to continue. Okay. Agree. All right. <laughs> what's the next one? Number six, discount life insurance. <laughs> oh boy. So this product is being advertised on a couple podcasts and the advertisement says you can get something like a 75% discount on life insurance. Uh, and I'm sure that you and your listeners know how life insurance works, but basically they pool co- client monies, people who buy life insurance policies, all their money goes into a big pool. And then, you know, someone's going to have that bad outcome, that negative event that we didn't want that we insured against in the case of life insurance, that's the loss of a life. And so the life insurance company is able to pay out tens or hundreds of times what the premium paid in was because they've collected premiums from all of their other customers. But if you have a company selling discount life insurance, how are they going to pay the people who have a claim? And, you know, when it comes to buying insurance, you really are making a gamble on the longevity of the company because you could very well, and this has happened to people, you know, buy your life insurance. And then if you have a claim and the company is bankrupt, you don't get your money. So I think when it comes to things like financial products and financial advice, I don't, I don't think that's the place you should be looking for a discount. Yeah, there have been some insurance kind of scams where, you know, they talk about the savings part of the investment that somehow is offsetting the premiums. And and there's all kinds of kind of just not very good, clear practices in that area. And it sounds to me like this might be maybe one of those scams, too. 
But, yeah, when yeah. when it comes to life insurance, there's, uh, for example, and this, yeah, I talk about this a lot on my show too. Is uh, you have whole life policies and what's called universal variable universal life policies that the the agent makes a lot of money to exactly. sell you. Mm-hmm. Very big <laughs> commissions. They Huge. supposedly have investment aspects to them. They sell them as being a tax deduction, but what happens is the returns inside the product are are abysmal, and so you and and I. I can't tell you the number of times I've worked with a client to um, to stop paying those premiums, and then they end up getting nothing back. Yeah, and the fees are so high internally, and they try to you know say that something is offset, you know the the investments offset the the cost, but it's it's prohibitively expensive, and yeah, it's usually a very misleading sale. So good for you yeah. picking up that one. Okay, yeah. what's number five? Number five, all the various ways to invest in startup companies. So some of these, now this is a two-part, okay, so I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in startup companies, but apps or tools like WeFunder, Indiegogo, crowdfunding, Patreon, and Kickstarter are really all over the place. And um, so first of all, you do have the opportunity to really hit it out of the park if you uh, get the right place as an investor in a startup company. But you have to realize 99 out of 100 companies that get funded this way go out of business, which means the investors lose all of their money. And those are real numbers, even for the big venture capitalists on Sand Hill Road who funded Twitter, even for them, nine out of 10 companies, portfolio companies don't make it. And so the, the probability that you have better company picking skills than those guys isn't very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even if they do make it big, the investors and the Wall Street guys and the lawyers who make the IPO or buyout happen really have zero interest in paying a bunch of money to the little guys who put in thousands of dollars at the beginning, right? Because their their investments are to the tune of millions. And so your investment gets completely watered down and you end up with almost nothing. That's what happens in the real world. So if you want to put your money into startup companies, I recommend you think of that as um, as a fun fund. Uh, you want to invest in your friend's company? Great. Just don't think of it as an investment. Don't put your nest egg in it. Don't put money in it that you can't afford to lose. I agree. All right. How about number four? <laughs> number four, the envelope system of budgeting. I, I, I don't... I I just don't understand the whole idea that you're going to actually keep cash in envelopes. I I can't wrap my brain around it that you would know at the beginning of the month the exact dollar amount you're going to spend on gas or food. I mean, life happens, and I would love for you to have a system that allows you to um, be really flexible and make choices in the moment. And so I lump all my spending based, or I categorize my spending based on when I make the decision to spend it. So for overhead type items, I call those yesterday's promises. That's rent, insurance, uh, gym memberships, things like that. Um, For things I buy in the moment, decisions I make in the moment, like gas, food, restaurants, clothing, gifts, that's today's fun. And then my savings for short and long-term goals is called tomorrow's dream. You can use any cash flow management system that you want, but I think I often think that that, that kind of detailed budgeting is really a setup for failure for people. I totally agree with that. I am not a fan of that. And to me, this envelope system, I have heard of it before, but it seems like for people that are really in dire straits, and even then, I, I, I'm not sure that that's the best system to have but well, and if you're literally using cash then the envelopes could like disappear or like burn up or I mean I don't know just uh, the whole thing just doesn't make sense to me <laughs> yeah. all, all right. right how about number, number three? three 
Number three is buying gold because you're afraid of inflation or Every time there's inflation concerns, there's this flight to gold. So I did some research during the time period from 1979 to 1984. We had 7.6% inflation per year. Imagine that. Um, Prices just going up faster than you can really keep track and uh, keep pace. And gold only rose 4% during those years. Okay. So in six years, your prices went up over 45%, but your investment in gold only went up 24%. So it's not an inflation hedge. And what was your opportunity cost of investing in gold? Uh, Well, you could have, um, in other words, what could you have done with your money over those six years? Well, to harken back to an investment we've talked about in this conversation, an S&P 500 index fund would have returned you almost 95% during those six years. So I don't think, I never recommend that people move to gold when we think uh, inflation is coming. And it it tends to be a real fear play. And I hate to see people making investment choices out of fear. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have talked about the debt and uh, some concerns about the debt. I don't think it's a bad thing to have some of your portfolio in in metals. I think that might be more popular coming in the future, but I can see where it can be speculative and definitely very volatile. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, number two. Uh, number two, house flipping seminars. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I think this stuff totally plays on people's ignorance and desire to be wealthy. Um, it's really sad because, you know, you can start investing in the stock market with less than $1,000. And if you're practicing investing in real estate, you're talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're putting at stake. Now, there are lots of people who make lots of money buying and selling houses. It's not that I'm saying don't invest in real estate as a strategy, but the idea that you you can flip houses quickly and make a profit. Um, it just it just isn't happening out there in this in this economic environment. And again, let's think about the example I gave before, where the gentleman who was selling one dollar apps that he said was giving people a five hundred percent return. And my question was, why is he in the dollar and app business if he has those kinds of returns? It doesn't make sense. It defies logic. And it's kind of the same thing with people selling specific investment strategies um, at a house buying seminar. What they're saying is the best use of your dollars is flipping houses and we're going to show you how. Well, if they had a proprietary model that was super profitable, why would they give it away? So what they're saying by putting on a house flipping seminar is that the best use of their dollars is putting on a seminar. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Houses, you know, if they if they had a model that they could stamp out and it worked and produce profit every time, they would be in the house flipping business. That's right. I've noticed that it's a contrary indicator because I think these flippers will flip and make money flipping houses when they can and when the going's good. Like you know, right after the financial crisis, when they could buy homes out of foreclosure and there's you know tons of them for sale at very low prices, and then the gains were tremendous. But then as soon as the gains narrow and narrow and narrow, and they can't make that much profit anymore, and housing prices have gone up so much, then they go out and they start teaching about it because they can't actually make those returns anymore. So to me, it's a contrary indicator. 
Yeah, and that, and you have um, so many people are following the home remodel shows now, the reality shows, Flip This House, and I'm sure there's a dozen like it. I don't have cable, so I don't know them, but um, they often it's the hosts of these shows that will put on these seminars so they get, you know, they have a lot of fame and notoriety and a big following, and they try to parlay that into, um, you know, making more money, and unfortunately, at the cost of lots of people's financial health. And I'm dying to know what your number one is. <laughs> number one worst piece of advice are any of the many, many dozens of versions of siren songs telling you how to achieve, easily achieve high returns in the stock market. No, this is a little vague, Linda, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, that you know, at this point, we know so much about the stock market. I mean, if you think about it, limitless returns are available in the stock market. And yet Warren Buffett apparently made his multi-millions earning 26% a year. Mostly the global stock market earns about 10% per year. You need an investment philosophy. You need something that's going to take you, it's going to stand the test of time. You have your financial goal in your financial life is to have your money outlive you. What we do best when we give financial advice is to help people avoid mistakes because mistakes can be really costly and sometimes irreparable. If you're not making money anymore, if you're retired and you make a big financial mistake, it can really be like cutting off your whole a whole arm, a whole a whole appendage in terms of it could dramatically alter or discount your lifestyle. Yeah, and I think it's really important to take a long-term perspective, you know, with investing it's really about the long-term return, right? It's really about staying in the market for the long-term. Like you said, there's all kinds of different strategies and computer things that are going on now. And Exactly. Yeah, and, and it really comes back to the fundamentals and the basics and, and just long-term, hanging with it long-term. Well, psychologically, we want things to produce returns for us now. We want to be thin now. We want to be rich now. We want the Lexus now. And our our brain is not really set up to think from the long term. We need to return to that long-term perspective, but it really isn't human nature. So we're, we're both saying the same thing. Yeah, because the one thing we know is that markets can get very overvalued and they can get very undervalued. And that is going to happen, you know, every few years, we're going to have some dramatic pullbacks and we're going to have some panics and we're going to have some overheating and, you know, craziness. So it's good to keep it all in perspective. Staying focused on the long term can help you understand that in events like that, even though it feels really emotional at the time, they in the long run, they're just a blip on your financial life. I agree. Well, Hillary, this has been so fantastic. Thank you for sharing these 10 things with us. How can people find your podcast? Well, I'd love it if you have, um, if you'd like to check out Profit Boss Radio. I run Profit Boss Radio like a wealth mastermind. So having real authentic conversations about money, uh, you can find Profit Boss Radio anywhere you access your podcast. So iTunes, Stitcher, you can also find it at ProfitBossRadio.com. If you'd like to check me out on the web, I'm at HillaryHendershot.com. Hillary has one L and Hendershot has two Ts. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Linda. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.